0: Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. This is episode 46, and I hope you're having a really spectacular day. I have John Kosky on the show. He is a historian with the Museum of the Confederacy, which is part of the American Civil War Museum here in Richmond. He is also the author of The Confederate Battle Flag, America's Most Embattled Emblem. Uh, It is a really fantastic book. Um, This is a really amazing discussion. Um, If you want to check out the book, it is available wherever you buy books. Again, it's called The Confederate Battle Flag, America's Most Embattled Emblem. Um, If you want a signed copy, you should go to the Museum of the Confederacy and check one out there. Um, Well, buy it. It's not a library. Um, But they do have fantastic exhibits. Go check them out. Um, They actually have a spectacular... Um, uh, exhibit about just Confederate flags in general, right? The the national flags, the battle flags, the state flags, and get into all the the nitty-gritty about it there. Um, We're going to actually focus a little bit more just on that popular Confederate battle flag um, that is all over the news today. Um, And the book actually came out of, as you'll hear John talk about in the late 80s and early 90s, there was a very similar controversy about the confederate battle flag in the news so the museum of the confederacy they decided they'd put up a an exhibit talking about it answering a lot of the questions that people have um and the book came out of it it's really really interesting um in the the midst of the current debate about the 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 battle flag um this is a this is a great discussion because it is a, a topic that deals almost directly with history Right, a lot of it has to do with people's emotions, but a lot of it is history. And I personally have heard very little, other than sound bites, directly from a historian. Uh, I did actually record this conversation uh, a while ago. I had planned on actually posting it around this time. The controversy erupted. Uh, you know, I don't know what you call that—serendipity or something like that. Um, but the point of this conversation is about information. Um, it's about the history of that flag, um not settling the controversy. Um John Kosky is a serious historian. Um, his job is to tell you what happened, um not what you should think about it, right? Um, it, it, this is a, a really you know interesting and sober conversation. Um, not just about what the flag means um, to different groups, but also how it came to mean those groups, how why each group latched on to a specific meaning. You know, when did that happen? How did how do these things occur? Right. And um, where does it happen? Right. This is not an opinion piece. Um, I am honestly very interested in your opinions. I would love to hear um, you post an opinion, you can email me, uh, Jeff major, J E F F M A J E R at history replays org. You can post on Facebook. You can also post, uh, you know, on, on history replays today, Tumblr, on um, at Twitter at history replays. I want to know your opinion, right? This is a very, uh, heated topic at this point. um, My personal opinion, I think the flag is appropriate really only in the historical context. Um, You know, it doesn't seem to me okay for a government organization to fly a flag that actually revolted against our government, um, especially when it revolted in the name of slavery um, as one of their main grievances being slavery. Um, But I am also personally a huge fan of the Bill of Rights. Which is one of the reasons I like this country and why I don't think it's okay to revolt against this country. So the Bill of Rights says if you want to fly a flag, if it means something to you, fly it. And I think, you know, if that's your thing, if that's what you want to do, do it. Do it, man. That's that's the thing you you should do. But I I really am interested in what you you know what your thoughts are. Um I will say that as soon as I just said slavery, um, and the Civil War about slavery, I did already see the emails and posts that I'm going to get that, you know, the, the war was not about slavery from a lot of the Southern sympathizers. If, that, if that's the argument you're going to make, I would love to hear it. Um, please do also address the fact that South Carolina, the epicenter of the current controversy, which wrote in their secession document, uh, quote, Slavery lies at the heart of South Carolina's grievances with the federal government. End quote. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure how you would get around that and say that it's not about slavery, but I'd love to, you know, let me know. Let me know. Um and if you are gonna actually comment, I'm also be very interested I don't know. Just just tell me what you think. Let's do it. Do that again. Let me know. Let me know what you think about the show as well. But at History Replays on Twitter, History Replays Today on Facebook, Tumblr, it's on Instagram. Um, you can also email me Jeff Major, J E F F M A J E R at HistoryReplaysToday um, But we're gonna go ahead and get to the conversation. Um, it is a pretty long one. Um, before we do, I'm just gonna say I was I was actually torn on whether or not I should make this a two part episode. Um, Just because it was so long, I wanted to keep it one because of the content was so relevant to right now. But technology actually made the choice for me. Um, The last part of the conversation, the audio file actually got corrupted. So um, I do think that I can actually make it listenable, uh, but it'll take a little bit of time. I'm going to try and work on that. Um, If I can get the the sound quality good enough, I will post it on the 15th um, as the next episode. Um, if you've never heard the show, it is posted on the 1st and the 15th of every month, if you don't know. Um, if it doesn't sound that good, I will just post it randomly as a bonus episode. Um, and if it sounds awful, I'm not going to post it at all. Um, but quite honestly, the only reason I'm going through this much effort is because the content is so interesting. Um, but whether or not I you know, will post it, I mean, it's a cliffhanger the suspense. Um, but anyways, um, the part that does sound good, we actually sat upstairs at the Museum of the Confederacy. Um, there was a woman working in the room there. She was actually typing. I didn't think you'd be able to hear it, but you can hear some typing in the background. So that's what that is. That's uh, that's the sound of, of history being cataloged and being uh, transcribed. Um, but I started out talking with uh, John Kosky, and he's actually telling me um, about the exhibit that actually inspired his book
1: it was um, way back in the late 80s mm-hmm. <laughs> which seems so the, uh, the Confederate flag controversies were uh, daily fair in the, in the uh, national and local news there it was really a high point of, of public controversies on the highest level particularly uh, coming out of Georgia and Alabama and but a lot of local controversies as well and so the we at the museum were a natural source of information people mm-hmm. uh, media would come to us often and ask for opinion but as a history museum we tend not to give opinion especially right. on controversial issues we give background we give perspective so it, we were trying to establish ourselves as a source of background and perspective. And if you want opinion, talk to the people, to the combatants in the in the controversy. Mm-hmm. If you want the confederate opinion, uh, you know, find a confederate, dig them up and ask what right. what he thinks. <laughs> or or find, you know, go to those who are involved in the controversy. We are not. Uh, sure. So after a little bit of, after a lot of that kind of thing, we decided to create an exhibit that would deal with the controversies on our terms do what we could do best, which is to uh, inform the public. Mm. Uh, so the guiding question for the exhibit was what do people today need to know about the Confederate battle flag to but better understand the controversies that are part of everything and the headlines right. virtually every day. Uh, so we began researching. Uh, I was the lead researcher of a team of people. Uh, that created a relatively small exhibit but we wanted to use media so we had some audio and video uh, as part of it and a, uh, and a lot of popular culture and mm-hmm. also a lot of attention to the then raging controversy so the exhibit pretty much presaged what I ended up doing with the book which I developed on my own in my own time because it was such a rich subject but uh, so we, we um, went into the history of the flag as a Confederate symbol during the war and then tried to probe uh, how it became well, its life after the war sure uh, both as a symbol of the Confederacy as a symbol of the south and then a more wider widely used and widely meaningful public uh Uh, a popular culture symbol Mm -hmm. uh, and trying to identify how that process worked. At at what point did it become a symbol of of rednecks? (laughs) At what point did it become a symbol of racism? At what point did it become a symbol of sort of harmless good old boy uh, uh, rebellion? Uh, How did that happen? And then the obvious question of how this, these, these multiple levels, this accretion of meanings that occurred over you know, 120 years at that point, uh, how those are, are uh, affect the controversies. That sure. is, what what the, the obvious outcome of all those years of new new and conflicting and overlapping meanings, I mean, the, the original meanings were not lost, they just simply regained new ones over time, is that different people have different perceptions sure. of what the flag means. And therefore, when a controversy emerges, people are not on the same page because right. they, they obviously... Um, uh, draw their their interpretation, their perception of what the flag means from different stages, different facets of the flag's history, because it's got a rich and, and varied history. Uh, so we were trying to, uh, as much as possible, dissect that and you know, lay it out to people to understand. And we also, uh, did, I did, our, uh, short interviews with people involved, uh, you know, names now kind of lost to most people, uh, but older uh, uh, listeners will know the name of Robert Bob, the Mm -hmm. city manager uh, who, uh, because of some controversies involving the city flag at the time, Mm -hmm. uh, the the, the disuse and disownership uh, of a city flag dating from the early part of the 20th century on which the Confederate battle flag was emblazoned. And the city in the 90s, one of these controversies, uh, uh, distanced itself and uh, from that flag and adopted the one we see today, with the, the boatman,
0: which which very sadly don't see very often. No, you don't. They're it's very rare.
1: Most Richmonders have no idea that we have a flag. Exactly. And the the way that flag came about was was a, an effort to a deliberate effort to uh, find an alternative to the city flag, the mm-hmm. old city flag, which again had never one reason why it, why it lived on from. 19- 14, whatever it was, all the way into the 1990s, without much controversy, is that you never saw it. Mm-hmm. It was only because it was at the Richmond Airport, I think, that people said, "Hey, what's a Confederate symbol? What's that doing on our city flag here right. in Wright County?" Uh, the, um, but, it, but yeah, the, the, the tendency not to use city flags is is one way they they, they go on so long without uh, being challenged because right. nobody even knows about it. But but those kinds of things. And we had Kent Willis from the ACLU uh, commenting on uh, these things. We had Representative Ray, uh, the now late Ray Boone from the Richmond Free Press, mm-hmm. who had um, basically his first his first big bump in listen in, in readership was as a result of that city flag controversy and the controversy over the symbol of the Air National Guard squadron that had a. Um, a screaming eagle with the Confederate flag circle disc in under its talons, mm-hmm. uh, and that dated from the late 1940s, uh, which something we'll get into later about the significance of that period. Um, but the objection of a black airman to that symbol, and that became in in Mr. Boone made that one a big issue for the Free Press. Sure, and so we interviewed him as well. Uh, but we had ran those audio tapes and then collected as much as we could afford, given the cost of, of getting permission for a videotape. Mm-hmm. Uh, a short video, uh, one of the first times we had, we ever went into video production, uh, to capture this popular culture. Is that um, online anywhere? Or no, no. Pre, okay. um, it's you know, all, all pre digital era. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, it's we have had it transferred to digital format. Leo, in fact, did that. Mm-hmm. Work? Uh, but I wonder. Maybe I'll ask him if yeah, he can. Uh, I, I, love to I think post that. I have, and I might be able to provide that. The problem is, of course, it's all copyrighted material. We got to use it sure. for that exhibit and pay dearly uh, for this. Um, I mean, i link whatever. You, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, if we can do it, we'll see. I'll see if I can, can, can use. But in, can can even music?
0: going like back to that, because it was an interesting thing. Even when you first started talking, you used. Uh, a couple different names, mm-hmm. right? So, and, and it has the flag that we're kind of the red light field with sure. the with the cross and the stars and, and the blue. Right. Um. You know, it's a Confederate flag, the battle flag, the rebel flag, the stars and bars, the, uh, all these. Uh, yeah. That's, right. Of course, that so is. Yeah. You're these right. Are and all these those are all the that,
1: names that are. You will not hear me using stars and bars for right, it. Right. Sure. But you are correct. Those are all the names given.
0: Right. And which is because it's. I guess that goes back to because it's not even really the Confederate flag,
1: correct? Right, and you're right. That is, and that 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 is a heck of a thing for trying to write about it, trying to do an exhibit about it, because the identity that most people know is incorrect. So, so if you, you, know, you, you know as well as I, you want to be able to use something short and sweet, sure, that people understand that is immediately recognizable, and not have to qualify what you calling something sure. by a long name with, that includes background. It just gets confusing and burdensome. But yet, the things that are easiest are wrong. Mm-hmm. So right. to call it the Confederate flag, well, it's not. That's the point. It's not. It's the stars and parts. That's really the wrong thing. I can I'll elaborate on that later. That is, the, that is the, one of the things I think I have done best in my work, is to underscore how ironic it is. Mm-hmm that the Stars and Bars name has been applied to it because symbolically it is the polar opposite. It is the anti-Stars and Bars. It emerged as the anti-Stars and Bars. So, boy, to be calling it the Stars and Bars is, is almost hysterical. Right. But, yet, yeah, people and do. So,
0: and so where does this flag come from, though? Is, was it ever uh, used? Was there anything like that before the Civil War?
1: Yeah. Um, yes, sort of. Uh, uh, it, it, Like all symbols, it draws on... Uh, symbolic antecedents but, but every stage of the game here this, this is uh, why uh, I, t- I tend to talk a lot about this and have to belabor the points because there's nothing easy about this. Right. Everything is, should be easy isn't easy sure. about this whole subject uh, everything needs to be qualified and explained to death until people are going to turn both of us right off and not listen to the rest yeah. of the podcast but the um, so the most obvious antecedent is the Saint Ant- Cross of Saint Andrew, mm-hmm. the diagonal cross. But if technically, it isn't cross of Saint Andrew because it, uh, uh, the the battle flag, what we know as the Confederate battle flag, the blue mm-hmm. cross on the red field, in its original form, uh, was square. And right. We'll go into that later too. Uh, But of course, it later became oblong or rectangular, as that's the way we see it today most often, as if it were a national flag, Mm. uh, shaped in that rectangular form that national flags are, even though that wasn't its most common shape and form during the war. But the um, uh, but most importantly, the if you think that original intent with flags like the Constitution is important. The man who was most responsible for the adoption of that flag was very explicit in saying that it was not to be a religious symbol, but a heraldic symbol. It was the saltier of, of heraldry. Same difference if you you know if it's a diagonal cross, it's a diagonal cross. Now one regret I have in my book is that I in an effort effort to find this shorthand that I could use throughout the book without having to say the flag name. Take a whole line just describing the flag every time I talk Mm -hmm. about the flag. I I use St. Andrew's Cross. And I I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had heeded the advice of a flag scholar I know and who read some early chapters not to do that. Because I think I contribute to a little confusion on that point. And also, there's... um, so the, uh, the the man's name William Porcher Miles of South Carolina had um, was the patron of that flag in 1861. Mm-hmm. Um, the flag that he originally championed as the national flag of the Confederacy when the ne- when the first seven states had seceded and were looking for symbols of a new nation, and he headed the flag of of. of of the Committee of Flag and Seal of the Confederate Congress, and that was his personal choice was a blue uh, upright St. George's cross on a, a field that he had seen at the Confederate uh, South Carolina Secession Convention. The Jewish community of Charleston, which was rather powerful and uh, had a voice anyway, and were loyal Southerners uh, uh, to the, what became the Confederacy. Asked him, "Would you please not use a religious symbol on mm-hmm. the flag of the new nation? You know, we're part of the nation too. We'd rather not be fighting under a Christian flag." Right. Okay, so he turned it on its side, basically, made it a heraldic symbol, a explicitly non-religious symbol, a saltire, not the St. Andrew's cross. But
0: w- would you know, <clears throat> is he um, is he saying explicitly non-religious and using a religious symbol, knowing that it's still religious? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, is there?
1: He's, well, of course, that's the irony of, of the whole St. Andrew's Cross thing. There's two things about the St. Andrew's Cross that uh, to, that in the years since, especially in the last generation, have become big touchstones. One is the Scottish thing. All this There's a lot of writing about the importance of the Celtic tradition, mm-hmm. particularly in the South, that it's, the, it's all about the Scotland. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of interest in Scotland and Sir Walter Scott, especially in the South. But I found little or no uh, association with this, that symbol, the, what you can mistake as a St. Andrew's cross, uh, and the Confederacy as a Scottish symbol. Nobody tried to attach it to Sir Walter Scott and the fad of things Scottish in Antebellum South. Then, today, a whole lot of people are doing that with right. this whole. Okay. And also trying to make it a religious symbol. We've always said the South is a more religious part of the nation than the Yankee nation. That's part of who we are. We're more religious. That's all part of, that's all today. That is right, all the okay. last generation, people trying to read backwards from an evangelical Southern tradition that is strong today, and, and certainly was then, I mean, no doubt about it. But very, very few people in the 1860s uh, talked about the Southern Cross as a cross. There were some notable exceptions to that, but it wasn't a, a mass movement. It okay. wasn't this, this, we have a religious symbol on our flag, and we are more religious uh, than than the the Yankee nation were fighting. There was certainly a lot of God is on our side talk on sure. both sides.
0: Everyone always says yeah, that though, exactly. right? That's
1: precisely, <laughs> precisely. Yeah, nothing unique about that. So a lot of, so this this the use of the cross as something more meaningful is to a large degree, I would say to the largest largest extent, a product of our own time and people trying to define the confederacy as a more religious nation civilization as opposed to the north and in celtic uh, then not much of that some but not much so the what the what miles had in mind was a non-religious symbol a heraldic in nature mm-hmm. not religious okay and so he proposes it as a national flag though he proposed a national flag and even though he was the, the chairman of the committee he did not get his way right the the most of the designs that were submitted and the clear favorite among the other members of the committee and the public generally was a flag that looked like the stars and stripes. Mm-hmm. Hence the stars and bars, what we have the, the first national flag of the Confederacy with the, uh, the blue field and much like the U.S. flag, the canton, with, with stars in it arranged according to the number of states, uh, usually in a circle. The, and then the two red bars, stripes if you will, wide stripes and the one wide stripe in the middle. Mm-hmm. It looks a lot like the Stars and Stripes, and it's no accident. It, it, the way the imagery I use is that white Southerners of Confederate sympathy, secessionist sympathy, uh, needed to be weaned from the symbols of the United States. In part, it's because, and, as I, and look at the Constitution, look at the, the everything mm-hmm. associated with the Confederacy. They very much wanted to make the point that the South wasn't rejecting the Union of 1776, it was rejecting the Union of 1860, right. from the Republican Party. And they uh, thought they were the
0: real heirs to the such 1776, such
1: 1776 precisely. right? Precisely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so why yield to those guys, sure. the ones who are uh, destroying and undermining the Union that we dearly love? And we, don't forget who, the, the Virginia dynasty after all. That we helped to create, we're not rejecting it. We're trying to embrace it. They have made it impossible for us to stay into it. In mm-hmm. it, so why, therefore, should we yield to them? The symbols of a United Nation, right. a once a beloved nation, and it made perfect sense. Uh, that, but it took time. And uh, and Miles comes out as a as a very prescient man in all this, saying, "Okay, okay, that's the sympathy now, but just you wait." Mm-hmm. And of course, and he was, and he was just distraught at this. Why is it that we are using the symbols of the people from whom we're separating? And, and of course, over time, as, as the war became bloody, as the war became nasty, as the, as the, the, the North, as the invading army, necessarily the way the, the war played out, uh, did what invading armies always do. Even if they just live off the land, they do things that destroy property and uh, hurt people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as they became even more aggressive and uh, abandoning the early war soft, the Rosewater War approach of trying to win the hearts and minds of the southern people, realizing that fruitlessness of that, and began to wage real war against the South. And, and white Southerners were thinking, "How did we ever stay in the same nation as these people? Right? They're not, they're not even like us. Right? They're, they're just an alien race in every every way." So, but some,
0: is that not also a a huge component of the recruiting of the the southerners, the southern powers actually getting the hearts and minds of, of their own people, is this idea that we're not leaving them, they left us, yes, yes, right
1: yeah that, that that was a lot of it, and particularly since early in the war there were so many fence sitters, particularly here in in Virginia. Uh, people who were not real sure this is a good idea, Virginia with its strong tradition of Unionism. Mm-hmm. Now make no mistake, the Virginia was very much of a slave society, the biggest slave society, and uh, and very wedded to slavery. Virginia, people trying to make a clear distinction between the Lower South seceding for slavery and the Upper South seceding for, uh, because of, of Lincoln, uh, calling for troops to suppress. You know. Yes, big, huge difference. Virginia didn't secede until the, the Fort Sumter and, and, more importantly, Lincoln's call for volunteers trying to make Virginians and other states parties to the crushing of the rebellion. Right. But the sympathy with our sister slave-holding states, using that language, shows you where, where, the, where the critical divide is.
0: Right. Uh, we haven't made the jump, but we're still looking south. We're still
1: looking south. Right. And, and there, was all kinds of, there were all kinds of reasons why Virginia's Reason for seceding was still basically because of an identity with slavery and slave ownership as a tie that binds. So slavery was critical, but still, the the timing was such that it didn't happen because there was uh, until after war was declared and Virginia had no choice but to choose one or the other. Uh, couldn't the fence sitting period had ended? But the uh, to your point, yes, a lot of people were Unionists in their sympathies and um, uh, didn't and were did not want to leave the the union of their forefathers the um it was, a, it was a very complex issue but uh so it was part of the the hearts and minds with the south mm-hmm. and in turn the, the the rejection of the old union and of the symbols of the old union was also part of the hearts and minds uh, as later in the war the word subjugation which we t- t- tend not to use a lot today was is critical the, uh, what what do we face as a southern nation if we return to the Union, subjugation? All, just look at you know, all the cities they have burned, and each one mm-hmm. in turn. That be, look at what happened to Fredericksburg here in Virginia. Look at what happened to Wint, uh, uh, Winton, North Carolina, or Randolph, Tennessee, or Hopefield, Arkansas. All these cities that were burned to the ground, in large part because of retaliation against guerrillas firing them. Mm-hmm. Union troops, but still, this is the, this is the kind of people that this is what Yankees do, and they're freeing our slaves. They're, you know, they're so-called freeing our slaves. What they're really doing is trying to make race war against us. But all these things became it became a very mean and nasty war, yeah. and and the idea that the uh, uh, we are a different civilization here in the South, and we, if we didn't know it before in eighteen sixty-one, we definitely know it now by eighteen sixty-three and we uh we need a new nationalism it, it, as the s- confederacy became more nationalistic more they became confederates more than they did southern americans okay and at that point it, it became unviable nonviable <laughs> yeah. uh, to have um symbols that that mimicked uh that were detested parodies of the stars and stripes as newspaper writers and people like George Bagby of the Southern Literary Messenger and Matthew Fontaine Murray and a bunch of others who were writing publicly or in a pseudonyms asking why. Asking the same question that Miles did in 1861. Why do we want to have these symbols of the, of this right. nation? Especially now that the Yankees were being exposed for what they were. And I'm using Yankees in quotes here. Uh, as, as invaders and people who don't even, they're not, they're not like us. Mm-hmm. So t- what that meant is that uh, this Confederacy needed new symbols. Now, in the meantime, what had happened was that the battle, the, the national flag, looking so much like the national flag of the United States government, and being used often as a battle flag by the armies, you can see the potential for confusion on the battlefield, particularly mm-hmm. a smoke-covered battlefield, when the flags of each side, in, in addition to their uniforms, often looked alike. Yeah. Uh, so it led to quite a few documented in- instances of friendly fire. Right. And what that meant, meant for the generals and the troops is they needed to look for an alternative. They appealed to the government for, can you give us a new flag that looks a little more distinct? And the government declined. So generals in the field took matters into their own hands and came up with alternative battlefields. This happened, uh, battle flags. This came up all over the South. And it led to a, a period in late 61, early 62, in which small, before the coalescence of the armies as we know them later in the war, individual commands, you know, brigade, division, corps size commands throughout the Confederacy adopted unique battle flags meant to be distinctive markers on the battlefield, functional mm-hmm. flags. And one of them, was the one we know as the Army of Northern Virginia Pattern Battle Flag. So that flag. didn't come about until 1863? Well, no. That's okay. until late 61. Okay. Uh, or right. not even right. late September. Okay. So after first Manassas, first bull run. Okay, is, right, right. That's is what is when the generals adopted, uh, and Miles place comes into the story again, Miles was a volunteer aide-de-camp mm-hmm. for his fellow uh, South Carolinian, or South, well, no, actually, Louisianian. Uh, um Uh, P.G.D. Beauregard, serving Mm -hmm. on his staff. So when the generals decided uh, to adopt a new flag, Miles says, I have one here. And he pulled out his design as a battle flag. And another New Orleans officer championed it as well. And that was the one that Generals Beauregard and Joseph Johnston favored, as long as it was not oblong, but square. Mm -hmm. So a perfectly square battle flag. So his original idea was oblong? Was oblong as the national flag, right? Okay, yeah, yeah, and then
0: and then as a battle flag, the battle it just flag square, square. Mm-hmm.
1: and that was the um, and that was what the Army of Northern Virginia adopted in uh, what became Lee's Army of Northern Virginia adopted, basically after a couple of conferences and prototypes uh, in uh, September October eighteen sixty one, and the first ones distributed to the army in the first days of December in eighteen sixty one, so from that point on the that recognizable flag in its square pattern and various issues, first silk and then cloth bunting were issued to the Army. Eventually it became mass-produced by uh, sort of out out, uh, piecework systems but through the Confederate Quartermaster Department and, and of course in 1862 after the Confederacy seemed to be on the ropes in the first half of the year and then uh, Jackson's Valley Campaign and Lee taking over the, the army and after the wounding of Johnston east of Richmond at Seven Pines. And Lee took over the army in the spectacular series of victories in from the Seven Days Battles to um, uh, the, uh, the Cedar Mountain in, uh, under Jackson and Second Manassas and to Sharpsburg, Antietam and Fredericksburg and Chancellorsville, all these storied battles during that year. 1862-1863 under the leadership of Lee, which really turned the course of the war. Mm-hmm. Far from being on the ropes, the Confederacy was rampant, and it was the Union that was on was on the ropes. When does it become?
0: Uh, when does that square flag? You know, I mean, Lee takes it over. He starts winning. You know, everybody says that's that's the flag that makes us feel good because
1: it makes us win. Right. Does it then spread throughout the other armies? It does to some okay. degree. I mean, it, it was. Um, uh, Lee's army became, for the Confederacy, the source of nationalism and pride. I mean, right. a lot of Gary Gallagher's made that argument very persuasively that don't look to the government for Confederate nationalism, you won't find it, uh, people's relationship with the government. Look to the people's relationship with the army, especially the army that gave them hope and actually won, and it gave the Confederacy some fighting chance for survival and winning its independence, and not coincidentally, the symbol of that army became popularly the symbol of the Confederacy. So when the so back to this uh, movement for new symbols that spoke to a what some editorial writers called a confirmed independence of the Confederacy. You know, in a sense, this weaning process that I describe this, is about over. They're, they've been weaned. Right. They've been weaned by blood, if you will. Uh, it's a horrible, horrible image. Yeah. And, uh, uh, but the they're ready for a national symbol. So, in, and this was true as early as the middle of 1862, uh, the, the, the disillusionment with the stars and bars, the old first national flag, began in 1862. And there was a lot of debate in Congress, but it really came to a head early in 1863. And by that point, the only designs being considered seriously by the Confederate Congress were variations on the Army of Northern Virginia battle flag. Okay. And uh, there were a couple of really weird ones suggested the previous year, but by the early '63, the only ones being considered with any seriousness were some variant on that.
0: End, yeah, and they end up setting that the stainless banner, Precisely, right? Which and is that was
1: ironically, this is this is the thing that makes all kinds of ironies here. We 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 began this conversation by talking that this flag that everyone thinks is the Confederate flag isn't the Confederate flag. It never was the the Confederate flag. as as the singular one that stood for the nation as we see it today. But that could have been true. If the generals who were responsible for making it the flag of what became Lee's Army in 1863 had had given their blessing to the idea, the flag that we see everywhere today could have been the national flag of the Confederacy in 1863. Mm -hmm. But the generals instead, Beauregard in particular, said he would prefer if it would be emblazoned on another field, blue, white, whatever. So it was emblazoned as the Canton, upper left hand corner, on a field of white. So rather than being the flag of the Army itself, simply lock, stock, and barrel, put it on, spread it out on a rectangular field and call it the national flag, Uh, it was emblazoned on what became known as the Stainless Manor, debuted in, in May of 1863. But my argument and is and that on the, the coffin of Stonewall Jackson yeah, on the as coffin well, of Stonewall right? Stonewall Jackson. At, yes, as which we have in, in st- our
0: collection. Yeah, he laid in state here at, the, mm-hmm. uh, or not here, but at yeah, the Capitol. At the Capitol. In, in Richmond. Uh, and then
1: two years ago, we had it uh, on display here in the lobby. Uh, it's a huge flag. Mm-hmm. We had it on display on the 150th anniversary of that lying in state of Sherman. Sure. But that was the first use, and that became the national flag for the remainder of the war. Uh, further modify in February of 1865 by adding a vertical red bar to the hoist edge, the outer edge, mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't look like a white flag of surrender when right. it was laying when it was in, well, on a windless day. You know, it was getting a little close to home there, a couple of months before sure. informatics. But, um, but basically then, the, the symbol of Confederate nationalism, so strong, in fact, that it was the symbol put on the new national flag at a time when the Confederate people, the Southern people, Confederate sympathy, were looking for a flag that spoke to their absolute independence, no longer needing the symbols of the old Union. That blue cross on the red field was the symbol they chose. So symbolically, that flag was flag of the Confederacy. In truth, of course, this is why it's so confusing. Right. I, somebody asked me, was it the flag of the Confederacy? Well, in de facto, of. no. Right. De jure, in sympathy, yes. Okay. Uh, because it clearly spoke more than any other symbol to a spirit of independence, a desire to be independent, uh, a rejection of anything associated with the old union
0: and so man we've gotten it's taken a long time we haven't even gotten gotten near. so part of the uh, one of the things that I always see with like the 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 flaggers the people that really want to you know show this flag in your face all the time is you know obviously this the heritage not hate is you know their mantra and it seems and maybe I should ask them instead of you but it seems fantastically obvious that if you want to go with the heritage and you should have one of the actual national flags instead of the aggressive battle flag, right? I mean, is that not
1: well? That's actually we're making more progress than you think because the um, this 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 loop, so to speak, of the relationship between the battle flag and the and the national flag is 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 right on. You're you're, you're right on with seeing the ironies with this. The um, you know, what should be and what is and are is, we're part of the problem lies um, the. Um, uh, best way of explaining this the, um, it, it became the symbol of the nation mm-hmm. so one of the things that, that well meaning people myself included over the years and uh, many historians I've talked with who have tried to say essentially that uh, the people who let's leave the flaggers for a moment and, and go to those who find the flag offensive who find mm-hmm. the battle flag offensive would say that uh, they really, they shouldn't have problems. People who find the Confederate symbols offensive shouldn't have any problem with the battle flag because the battle flag was the symbol of the soldier. And we have a tradition in this country of always revering soldiers, uh, knowing that they are not the ones who start the wars. Mm-hmm. They, they, they die for the wars, uh, for the causes. They don't fight. They don't start them and it was their flag. It was the flag that stood for the men of the Army of Northern Virginia first, and as you were saying, asking me earlier, yes, other theaters of war adopted that flag. Uh, It spread as Beauregard and Johnston spread, as they were sort of pariahs with President Davis, and they were were well-traveled, let's put it Mm -hmm. that way. And each time they went someplace else, they more or less brought that flag with them. So the oblong form of the flag became the flag of the other major field army, the Army of Tennessee. When Johnston commanded that, it was also the the department flag down in South Carolina and Georgia and northern Florida when Beauregard was down there. It did not take over and displace every other flag, battle flag of the Confederacy, but it was familiar in all theaters. The Stars and Bars and the Stainless Banner were also used as battle flags a lot, too, and a lot of those survive as battle flags. So there was never complete uniformity of battle flags uh, through the Confederacy. Sure. But the but that pattern that pattern did see life in throughout the Confederacy. Right. And, you know, we mentioned earlier that nobody, you can hardly find a
0: uh, Richmond City flag. It's even harder to find one of those national flags. That, uh, yeah. I think the only one I know of is right outside here. Yeah. You know? mean,
1: oh, yes. mean flying someplace? Yeah. I see. Yes, um, so, exactly. So they, yeah, it has become the symbol for the Confederacy. And one thing I've, I've been trying to do in my work is to systematically trace why that is. with this yeah. With this incredible variety and diversity of flags in the Confederate history. I mean, the, people think of that flag as the singular Confederate flag, the only one they know. And in fact, in its short life, the Confederacy's flag history is incredibly diverse, almost chaotic. Right. But yet, we know only one. How did that happen? Is one but of it, my and questions. And it
0: looks like I mean, looking at like old pictures of the reunions and whatnot, and you know, around the turn of the 20th century, um, it looks like there. I actually see a lot of them flying the national flags.
1: The national flags were popular in sort of a, a kind of formulaic art that grew out of the so-called lost cause period, mm-hmm. which is the name given to it by the veterans and the first generation of Confederates themselves. But this, this memorial period, if you want to use a less pejorative-sounding term, uh, yes, there was a, a kind of a formulaic, uh, we have drawers full of... Uh, of Art- artworks of various kinds that we've sold here at the museum over the 120 years we've been around, that usually has our Confederate flag, and it's the battle flag, usually square, sometimes not, the uh, and all three national flags displayed mm-hmm. together like a flower bouquet, I mean, right, right, it's right. like a bouquet uh, of, of red, white, and blue of various kinds. Um, but even during the veterans' period, the battle flag became primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would argue that, the, and have argued that, the veterans in that first generation helped establish the primacy of the battle flag. And but even the Confederate generation itself did. And back to a point I was starting to make a moment ago. I'm going to interrupt myself so I don't lose this train of thought. That the that the flag of the soldier, and it should therefore be revered as a soldier, and the flag that should give offense. If you if you the person primarily African Americans who don't like this battle flag. Uh, really thought about it for a minute. It's not the battle flag you would object to because you can respect the the, um, the the efforts of the soldiers. The flags that really ought to give you offense are the stars and bars because that was the flag adopted by the seven states that no doubt about it seceded because of slavery in right. the defense of slavery. That's the flag that should give you offense, not well, but, the flag, not the battle flag. But but, but is two, it
0: not the um, is the <laughs> offensiveness? of course does come with the attachment to the confederacy and slavery mm-hmm. but does it at this point is it, isn't it also um associated more where it becomes adopted by the clans yes. um yes. and all these other you know mm-hmm.
1: basically hate groups right and right that is, yeah that's the baggage that we haven't gotten into yet but quite, yeah quite and right it's so, what has happened yeah, cause since because we need to we need to get into that stuff yeah. we're well, but this is but this is also important though, you know, okay because my point about the national flags and the import and the importance of the battle flag becoming the primary symbol on the national flags is that it isn't that easy to separate the flag sure. of a soldier from the flag of the nation. For those who want to make that clean break and say that the battle flag should not give offense because it was the flag of the soldier, not the nation. You can't say that knowing right. that it was emblazoned on the second and third national flag. It was the flag of the confederacy, sure. in its sentiment it was. So while those of us who work in this field would like to be able to say, let's just say it's the flag of the soldier and it shouldn't give offense, in truth we cannot say that. Right, And we, and we have the second and third national flag staring us in the face. So even without the baggage of the civil rights era. And the years that followed, uh, the does it take that long to the to the fifties and sixties? I mean, yeah.
0: are, are, is is that first iteration of the Klan, mm-hmm. you know, with it, which is just after the war? They're not using that. Not at all. I, yeah. If, it,
1: what happened, in fact, uh, in the you know, that, that's why I'm not so troubled by how we're not making much progress past 1865, because you can take 1865 to 1948 pretty much in in one fell swoop. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, so to speak, but that period uh, from the end of the Civil War to post-World War II was a fairly well defined and fairly homogeneous one for symbolism. Uh, what was happening in that time period was that the battle flag pattern was establishing itself as the primary symbol among Confederate flags, in part because of the same reason why it became primary during the war, it was the flag associated with Confederate victory. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the, vet- the various uh, heritage organizations, the, the Confederate veterans themselves, the daughters and the sons, have been trying mightily to get people to represent it correctly as a square battle flag, not the way we see it today. And they passed all kinds of codes and had to remind their own members, no, 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 it's you know you're doing it wrong. Uh, so trying to preserve. The history of the flag correctly and represent it correctly in history it was the it was the effort of heritage organizations in those years in the early in the 20th century. But during that era, there was a kind of consensus about that. There was a lot of battling over the shape of the flag and the history of the flag and who designed what and all that stuff. But in the white South, which during Jim Crow, of course, meant during the right. the, the South that. Gets it. You know, the vocal South, the South that we knew about because that's the old. For so long, the repressed voices of African Americans didn't really reach many ears uh, in history as well as at the time. The, there was a reverence for things Confederate. Hence, we have Monument Avenue, hence, we have the, the commemorative landscape of Richmond today in which the Confederacy was, was, was lionized, and right. its heroes were lionized. The flag was given a lot of respect. And the idea was, this, as as a quasi-sacred symbol of a a civil religion, if you will, there was an understanding that you use it this way, you use it at Memorial Day, you use it at veterans' reunions, you use it at meetings. You don't use it on T-shirts. Right. You know, it's also, of course, popular culture has changed. You know, people didn't wear T-shirts so right. with printed stuff on them. And that's a lot of it. You know, this is the white glove era and, right. and men wearing ties to Yankees games. But so, can't you also argue
0: that that's, that baggage mm-hmm. is also um, part of what's offensive to people? It's not as not exclusively the you know dudes in white hats and mm-hmm. um, things riding with this flag. Um, it also represents the Jim Crow white South, right? I mean, well,
1: it. Does and, because, I, and I because and I, and just I, and because
0: you didn't hear from the, right. the black southerners doesn't mean they didn't hate it, right? And, and what you're saying those these folks that respected and you know were honoring this were those okay. ones that were trying their, their dangest to resubjugate the black population and yeah. figure out a legal way to to remain their superiority.
1: You know I think monuments work better for that. I mean your uh, your asking is something that I should have thought about it before and I and I not good at thinking on a dime here, but I've always made that same point you're making in terms of monument, that that, that the monuments erected during that period are, in large part, and I think any fair-minded person would see this point, are, are testaments to black powerlessness. Absolutely. They are, by definition... Because they were not raised. Robbie Lee didn't raise a statue to himself. Somebody raised it to him in 1890. Right. And there was objection by John Mitchell and others at that Absolutely. time to that statue. Uh, muted voices that we can read about today that got some play at the time. But each of those statues, uh, there, there was muted opposition to it. Railroaded. I mean, they didn't ask African-American citizens whether you want this statue here. Of course not. Therefore, it is a, a testament to the powerlessness the status of the flag during that era doesn't strike me that way I think not only just a testament to
0: powerlessness, but also a watchful eye, right? I mean, uh, you know, a watchful eye over the status quo and and the white power Well, I mean,
1: the, the fact that the, one of the things that I find most incredible about Confederate history in Richmond and elsewhere is how we have not asked many questions about how odd it is, how remarkable and how fascinating and how extraordinary it is that the losers in a Civil War have had an opportunity for close to a century afterwards to tell the history of the war their way. And I'm not going to make any value judgments on that that, but it's just, think about it on the face of it, how extraordinary that is as an outcome of a Civil War that the people who lost got to raise monuments to their heroes, got to teach the history their way, the public celebrations were that way. Uh, and it it has everything to do of course with Jim Crow Mm -hmm. Uh, the two are related in cause and effect ways at any number of points but um, but what was interesting to me from the the flags I guess but
0: like from their telling the story their way isn't it at best though it is like untrue you know you, no, know, that's a whole you, other you know where you know i mean so so yeah i don't know i think that's, that's it's an important point that they that the that those that were uh, that lost the war also regained their power very quickly and, and yes. basically that had a lot to do with and it and effectively won won that you right. know I mean, which, lost, which i think is probably they, why they, we're they should, won the peace right while we're still talking about this flag i think is, you it, know, is. it is is that well but, um, but
1: but but that's the thing that makes it so interesting the flag was kept uh, it was it was used a lot, mm-hmm. but in a limited way that is understandable as a symbol of the Confederacy and of the Confederate veterans. It was not okay. It yeah, was, yeah, And the people who had the most interest in it and were most invested in it—the sons, the daughters, heritage organizations of all sorts—were bound and determined. They they sensed something then that we have since forgotten. Right. That control of the symbol and limited use of the symbol means control of its meaning. Mm-hmm. And they, they were watchdogs and guardians of it. Right. Uh, and they used it in limited ways relating to commemoration of the Confederacy and of Confederate uh, of men who fought for the Confederacy. And they, and they were vigilant in preventing any other kind of use for it. I mean, One of the things that struck me, and I quote in my book was, and it's, I don't know the background for it, but in our own records here at the museum, there was a, a correspondence, a son of one of the founders of the museum did something during one of the political campaigns and used the battle flag in some way. And there was a letter that basically said, what would your dear mother think about you doing that? And using this flag in some way, presumably anti roosevelt um, uh, the uh, in, in, in attaching political meaning to this flag how dare you right and that was the attitude and it was a kind of a, and this was a period of, of enforced you know, social mores. People had shame, is this was, I think in the thirties, maybe forties, okay, okay. early forties, just before a significant change that we're about to get into. But, and that's what it was. I mean, and people, no one buried, no one in the white South, you know, black southerners were using it. Uh, white southerners were using it carefully in a respectful way that meant that the people who revered it had control of its meaning Sure. and what had, what happened, uh, and what we know so well today was its wider use. And it began apparently, like so many things do, uh, in fraternities. In Kappa Alpha, the fraternity of the, of the Old South, founded at Washington College, became Washington Lee, and mm-hmm. uh, with the Association of Lee. And it was so that. Is that while Lee's there? After Lee's. Okay. After Lee. Was, okay. Uh, after Lee. And after Reconstruction, he died in 1870. But by the early part of the 20th century, uh, there's evidence that it was being used by Kappa Alpha. And by the 1920s, it was apparently used, I never found any photographs, but descriptions of being used in the University of Oklahoma and other KA chapters who were using it. Now, this is still, it's an old South fraternity, if you will. Right. Men who were, you know, at first they were veterans themselves, now were sons and grandsons of Confederate veterans. And Lee is their patron saint uh, of Kappa Alpha and the um, and the flag becomes became at that point their symbol. But they were and so it was used reverentially just like the heritage groups who were using it. But they're also twenty year old boys. Right. And they and and they and they raise hell and, and they just they do what fraternities do. So after a while the bounds became looser. And it became a presence on college campuses. That It was apparently used when Alabama won the Rose Bowl in 1926. And by this point, it was also being used not just to symbolize Confederacy and Confederate veterans in a reverential way, but in a kind of shorthand for the Confederacy and the South. Mm-hmm. So it became something that Southerners started thinking of as a way I can show my Southerness. In my opinion, that's that becomes sort of the the breakthrough. Is it's not just Confederate; it's now Southern, and later it's not just Southern; it's re- rebellious in a generic character way. Right. All these meanings attached to it over time, and it's mostly youth culture that is doing this. And World War II was also a big breakthrough point, as as World War One to a lesser degree, but more World War II, As Southern men were going out to fight, and they were in integrated sectional units, not. Racially, obviously, like until 48. Uh, and they were getting, you know, somebody gives you a hard time. Why do you talk like that? Right. Because I'm from the South. And then, and hey, mom, can you send me a battle flag? I want to show these boys from New Jersey what we're all about. And that happened a lot. Okay. So, in these uh, overseas, all kinds of incidents, uh, in, in mostly playful, mostly. Described in the popular press as being playful, because we're all on the same side now. But in a
0: northerner would have known what that was. I mean, it was yeah. a, it was it was a popular. I mean, it was well enough that. okay.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was becoming a southern southern symbol, and it was used playfully and apparently inoffensively uh, as a kind of just regional poking fun at each other mm-hmm. kind of thing. And uh, some well known incidents of uh, making Yankees salute the flag, uh, and. and it happened a lot. but and but that's establishing the the flag as a, a regional symbol, and then following the war, uh, it became more true as well with football, with, as, as more of northern and southern schools were playing each other in football. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and southern fans bringing the flag with them in the stands in North Carolina, UVA, all before 1948, which is a critical year. Uh, and it became popular on the uh, University of Mississippi campus in that period. So in the hands of young soldiers and in young football fans and, and students, it became a symbol for the South. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but then, in 1948 with the Dixiecrat campaign against Truman for president when Truman, of course, supported integration of the armed forces and a a stronger civil rights law and that was written into the Democratic platform and the four southern states walked out and formed this uh, uh, fourth, this turned out third or fourth party. And um, the party itself did not support Confederate symbolism, but its supporters did. And when you look at the pictures on the uh, convention floor in Birmingham and elsewhere. The men who were wielding Confederate flags and uh, during the rallies for Strom, Thurmond, and Fielding Wright were all college students. it was a tremendously large college student delegation mm-hmm. from all over the South at the convention. So th- it made it from the college campus onto the political floor in these widely distributed photographs of mm-hmm. the Southern Rebellion against Truman with battle flags being shown everywhere. Sure and so it became at that point a political symbol mm-hmm. and the people who spoke out most loudly against it were the united daughters of the confederacy mm-hmm. how dare you right consistent with that right with using that, that, that tradition sure this should not be used as a political symbol they passed a resolution against it kappa alpha tried to pass a resolution against it even the sons were outraged at the use of this flag as But a it very quickly becomes
0: symbol. frequently used as a yes, I mean it Very it quickly, was, right? So we're in, I mean, from, you know, 46 into directly into the, the 50s and, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it becomes uh, almost, it seems like almost immediately like the Dixiecrats adopt that, right? I mean, Dixiecrats that's...
1: Dixiecrats, well, they didn't. And they tried to, they tried to distance themselves from it okay. their supporters because they wanted to be a national party. You know, that was a, that was a pipe dream. But right. they wanted to be a national party not associated with just regionalism, but the supporters did and so it, it took on this political content and the but to their credit these heritage organizations knew that what was happening they lost control of this symbol they lost control of it. They, they would no longer be able to uh, uh, keep it as just a reverential symbol. So they fought mightily against it but until really the early 60s.
0: I do think it was very interesting that just as John Kosky was talking about folks losing control I was losing control of the technology Um, things started sounding bad just after that but I like I said I am very hopeful that I'll be able to fix it and make it sound good Uh, but thank you very much to John Kosky Um, thanks for your time Uh, I know he was very busy when we actually recorded this he was very generous with his time I really appreciate that and again thank you to Leo Thanks for helping me put this together. Um, You did a fantastic job. And let me know what you think. This is a very heated topic. Um, Facebook. I'm on Tumblr. I'm on Instagram. All those places. History Replays Today on Twitter. It's at History Replays. And email me. Jeff Major, J-E-F-F-M-A-J-E-R at HistoryReplaysToday.org. You can actually post at Um Just find this this post there and and put it on there. Um, do that. Um, let me know. I mean, should people have the flag? Should people fly the flag? Should governments fly the flag? I mean, I, what do you? You've already heard what I think. Let me know what you think. We'll have a discussion about it. Um, but uh, make it a
1: great day.